0: My message today is entitled, Working the Soil. I can finally teach on this because the snow is gone. <laughs> but I'm going to talk today about working the soil. If you've ever prepared the soil, you don't just plant seeds, you have to work the soil. Amen, Jack? You've got to work the soil, right? Well, the automob- automobile industry may have been laid upon the backs of the factory workers in the Midwest. And computer technology may have been shouldered by the men and women of Silicon Valley. But regardless of how far we advance in technology, we could do nothing if it were not were for the farmer. How easily we overlook and neglect the importance of the farmer in today's fast-paced and technology-driven world. If it were not for the farmer, no one could do anything. Thus, the weight of our society lies not on the minds of our leaders, But on the backs of our farmers. If you're a farmer, say Amen. Amen. One farmer out there. Two. (laughs) This is a fact that believers should know all too well, as the in the Bible, as the Bible time and time and time again stresses the importance of, of sowing the precious seed of God's word into hearts that have been properly prepared to receive it. For farming is more than just tossing seed or scattering seed. Painstaking effort goes into preparing the ground first and tilling the soil and preparing it to receive the seed before each planting. Greater effort still remains in the task of caring for each crop from its infant stages to treating weeds and pests that seek to devour it without inhibiting the growth of each plant. A farmer must take sh- make sure his crops receive just enough but not too much water enough fertilizer, but not too much, and proper care. It's no easy task to bring a seed to harvest. This is one reason why understanding Jesus' teaching on seeds and farming are so essential to our individual walks with the Lord. For if we fail to see the importance of the farmer in all that he does, then we truly fail ourselves and what God intends each of us to become. For us to grow in our relationship with God, we must continually prepare the soil of our hearts. That we may receive the seed of his wisdom all the way down deep inside of us. Preparing the soil, I will tell you, just like farming, is very hard work. And it's not for the faint of heart. So it's fitting today, since it's Communion Sunday, since the Bible talks about never to just to take this in an unworthy manner to prepare our soils, and to examine ourselves. It's fitting to talk about working the soil this day. You see, because if we do the hard and necessary and serious work of a spirit-led self-examination, true repentance, and repentance of sin, and a heartfelt confession to God, then we can walk in and receive the fullness of the calling that God has on our lives. We can receive the fullness of His love. His overarching power of grace and the extent of all the blessings that He intends to, the Bible says, to lavish upon us as His children. Too many people, however, rush through the process of repentance to get to the blessings. you remember the time when you were in trouble and you just kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry? And, I, you know... I will not mention this person's name, but someone I love very much in my life sometimes early on, I would do something wrong. and um, <clears throat> My loving wife. Um, and, and she is, I will tell you this, she is a true blessing from God. She can speak to me um, uh, with truth. And I would do something wrong, and uh, I think probably like a lot of husbands, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, you're going to feel the pain for a while. And as much as I didn't want that, I needed that. I needed it because it was a quick start that I'd I'd let myself off the hook. And so, of course, in her heart, she'd forgiven me, but she let me sit there for a while. Now, I'm guessing I'm not the only one that's ever been there before. Yeah? But it's the same with God. And so even when we go to God and repent, if if we, I'm I'm sorry God, I was wrong, but we don't feel the pain then we're apt to do. Again, someone said, is it true that, we can forgive but never forget. Is that I said, well, it's not the Bible, but that's the truth of the matter is God forgets our sins. We, he forgives us. The Bible says we, He remembers them no more. But we do for the sole fact we remember how we hurt someone else and how we hurt, hurt God. So it's a blessing to be able to remember it even though we don't think so. It's so that when the, the hope is we don't do it again or at least there's a warning that, gosh, I did this last time. I really blew it. I'm going to try extra hard not to do this again. And so some people rush through repentance uh, to get to the blessings, to get to feeling better. They don't allow the Holy Spirit to truly have his way in their lives. The truth of the matter is that the growing culture in our society today has not only seen a diminished work ethic in the labor force, but more seriously, we see similar trends growing in how many people and pra- how people practice their faith. The way to combat this problem is to allow truth to work its way back into our hearts, not just on our minds and on our tongues. It's not just what we say, and I can quote scriptures, if I'm truly letting the word soak way down deep into me, then it's going to deal with all that junk in there that we all have. At first, it must get past our will. That's what I allow it to get back or how much I hold it back. It has to move past our mind, which is our logic. It has to pass through our emotions, which is our other defense. We don't let it get too close. It has to move beyond our hurts, beyond our offenses, before it can reach our souls. So you can see that's a huge a lot of protection there. We have my mind and my logic and my emotions and my feelings and my hurt, pat, hurt, past hurts, which many things if we rush through this time, we don't allow God's truth to get way down into our souls where we can be healed. And so you have a lot of people saying, I should be healed and I should have more faith, but the truth is we never let God given him the time to do his work in us to change us, to fully redeem us. Much like the way a farmer breaks up the fallow ground to receive the seed, we too must prepare the rocky soil of our hearts so that we can receive the truth of the word of God way down deep in our souls where change needs to begin. Finally, fittingly, one of the greatest parables, and you guys know this parable, was taught by Jesus. It was called the parable of the sower, of the different seed that fell on different types of ground. Well, this is a major, major parable. It's probably the most important parable. So for our words, the parable of the sower is what could be called the parable of the farmer. Mark 4.13 says it this way. Jesus says, Do you not understand this parable? The parable of the sower. How then will you understand all the parables? See, the key to unlocking the meaning of all the parables, all the figurative language, all the comparisons, the key to unlocking all of them was to first understand what Jesus was teaching in the parable of the sower. Verses 3 and 4. Listen, Jesus said, Behold, the sower... Went out to sow. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Verse 5 Some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Verse 7, And some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased, and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Verse 9, And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I want you to see the sandwich that Jesus made about the story. I say a same because the first verse and the last verse are identical. The very first word said, listen. Not everyone did. Even still today, this is one of the most misinterpreted verses in the church, in the modern church today, because people don't listen. And the very last one, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The reason I say that, it's the most misinterpreted verse, is there are churches and pastors and leaders that say, this whole story is about you sowing money, that you can get sixty fold back or a hundred fold back on your—that's prosperity gospel. If you heard of that, and they pervert this word, even though Jesus said the seed is the word of God, they say it's money, and you should give more money to the church. Now we should give money to God's works, but it's not—that's not what this scripture says. And so it's an understand that we need to understand if we're going to understand everything what this parable means. This was not a mere story about a farmer but an analogy of how one sows the Word of God, how one plants the Word of God through teaching and evangelization and preaching. The beginning of this parable begins by the saying the sower went out to sow. Thank God for those who have responded to the call to go out and sow the seed. Jesus himself left the, perfect, the perfection of heaven He left having to come down and sow seed and and consequently give His life for our sins as well. One of the evidences of the fruit that we bear since we've received the seed, the evidence to know that that fruit is doing something in us is whether or not we are also willing to go out and sow and to share the gospel, the good news. If we are not willing, then have we fully received the seed? Or have we, compromised its growth, limited its application, and prevented its yield. Remember, we don't just receive a fruit. We receive a fruit with seed in it with the hopes that we're going to continue to plant those seeds so the kingdom of God can continue to grow. It's not just the pastor job, pastor's job who receive the seed. We all receive the seed. Now, we have different circles of influence and different opportunities, but we are all called to go out to be his witnesses in all the world. Mark 4:15. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan when they hear Satan comes immediately and takes away the word, the word that was sown in their hearts. See, those by the wayside are the ones that hear the word, and they retain none of it because of the hardness of their hearts. I've heard all this before. This doesn't make sense. Well, that's hypocrisy. Well, that's not what I need to hear. There's an evolution of truth. All the things that people say that that never has a chance to go in them because their hearts have been hardened, whether it's out of sin or whether it's out of hurt or whether it's out of of refusing to work through issues. Their hearts have become hardened. They've done nothing to prepare their soil and do not feel it's necessary to do so. These are those who wouldn't set foot inside of a church Unless it was to debate someone or debate some policy or bring other ungodly vices into it. Mark 4:16 and seven. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves and so they only endure for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. See, these people receive the truth with sudden enthusiasm and they're all excited because they're part of a club and everyone's there and it's easy to be excited when you're part of a club and things are going well and they, they have excitement. But just as sudden, they fall away when trials come. When they've been sold the bill of good that you should follow Jesus because Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life, but what happens when things drop out in your life? That's when we need Jesus all the more. But if you've come into, if you've bought that Jesus and it doesn't line up with what you've been sold... Then they fall away. Jesus said all this would happen. Those are what the Bible calls to the rocky ground hearers. They didn't let the seed work its way all the way down to the soul. Mark four eighteen and 19. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires of other things entering choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful. This is what we all must focus on. See, the the temptation to hearing stuff like this, and I know, because we're human, that's not me, but I know someone that this is talking about. And you get the elbows into the husbands and the wives. You know, you walk away to church with a bruise, right? We, we, we want to think, well, this is not me. I'm here in church. I love God. But if we don't take this personal, then we miss getting the seed all the way down to us. We all should focus on it. We all should ask ourselves, God, in what way is this me? As we do the hard work of preparing the soil of our hearts, we must understand that we are all susceptible to thorns at different times in our lives. Therefore, this is where our study is going to be focused on today. Now, Jesus spoke in parables comparing spiritual concepts with natural pictures. That we might know and understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But only if we seek the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. I'm not talking about a court of law. I'm saying, God, I want the whole truth uncompromised so that I can receive the seed in its deepest level. Yet, this seeking takes effort and desire to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to us, but also not to run from God when we get the truth or when, or when we're convicted by the truth. Some people don't. In fact, our flesh does not like hear hear the truth, so if we get too much of it, we close our eyes or our hearts or we find something new we run away from God. It takes a, someone who's submitted to the Holy Spirit that says, even though this is uncomfortable for me, I'm going to stay in here through the pain of the truth so that God can bring about a change in me. Amen? I know even that, it's not something that people want to say amen to because that's painful. It takes effort to prepare the ground. There were many in the time of Jesus who heard these parables and just thought Jesus was a great storyteller because the pride of their flesh would not allow them to take his teaching to heart, to be convicted, to fully repent so that they could be forgiven. Charles Spurgeon, who was a great theologian, he taught at great length On this parable. He noted that your heart, our hearts, your heart is not known until it can be seen on how you bear towards the gospel. If it produces in you holiness and the love of, of God and humanity, then we know that there is good soil in you. But if you are merely promising but not performing, then we know that the ground of your heart is hard or stony or thorny. That's what he had to say. If you bring forth fruit to the praise of God's grace, that is good. But if no saving effect is produced upon your souls, then it's clear that the soil of your heart has not been prepared of the Lord, and it remains in its native barrenness. You can go to church your whole life. You can choose what goes down to that level. You can act like you're a Christian. You can say the right things. You can speak the right things. But if you never take the time to let it work down past your offenses, past your hurts, then your soil is in its native barrenness. It cannot produce a full crop the way God intended it to do. Therefore, it's wise today that we take each of us, including myself, that we all take an honest account of ourselves and truly look at the condition of our hearts and our minds and our lives, giving God our honesty. You know what's the greatest gift that you can give God? is your honesty. He already knows what you think. If we give God our honesty, then he can fully redeem us. Now, some hear the word attentively. And in a sense, they receive it into their hearts and into their understanding. So that the seed begins to grow inside. But its fruit never reaches a full perfection. This is the ground that's choked out by what the Bible calls thorns. I ask you today, could this be you? That should be the question that we all consider, for the Bible tells us that if we would first judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Are you willing to judge yourself by looking at the hard and honest truth? You can try to convince yourself or others that you're devoted to growing in holiness, but God knows the truth. We can fool others. We can even fool ourselves. But God knows truly where we are. Are we truly devoted to holiness and becoming more like God? There's neither room nor time to kid ourselves. If we are not bringing forth a harvest, the seed is not growing or it's limited. If we are not telling others about Jesus, the seed is not growing. If we are not serving others in some capacity of our lives or praying for others, the seed is limited. Not growing how Jesus intended it to grow. If we are not spending time in His presence on our own outside of church activities, the seed is not growing the way God intended it to. So, first, let's talk about the seed. I want you to see when it, when it was scattered, and sometimes it grew up, and sometimes it didn't, and sometimes they got choked out. Every situation, every time, it was the same seed in every case. Some bring forth great yields, but some are compromised, and little fruit is brought to maturity. It's not the seed's fault. Some people have heard no more word than we have heard, but they have treated it and protected the word inside of them far better than we have done. There are some people in some parts of this world, you see the the mission uh, insert in your uh, bulletin, some people, they, may, they only get bits and pieces of scriptures. They cannot have Bibles. They don't have them to print for or it's illegal to have them. So when they get the word, they have to memorize it to put it in their hearts. And we have Bibles all over the place, but, we, but the discipline of memorizing scripture has been, has, has been lost in our country. Some people have protected and treated the words way better even though they received far less than what we have. How covered with briars and thorns must our minds be? that the gospel which has converted and delivered and healed a fellow brother or sister, yet it has not brought the same effect in all of us. If you haven't been bearing the fruit of holiness, of overcoming, and have seen the results that others have, it's time to clear out the thorns in your life. We must work the soil. This is not a condemning talk. This is a freeing talk. If we're honest with God and do the hard work. Those described in this text were not only hearers, but in a measure they accepted the good word. The seed fell not only on this ground, but into it, so that it began to grow. How is it then that one's acceptance of the truth has little or no effect upon them? How is it that a person could believe the gospel to be true and yet live as if it were a lie? If it is the truth, why do we not all yield obedience to it? Charles Spurgeon goes on even further in pushing this message. He says, if you believe the truth, what do you do more than the devil? If all you do is believe, you're behind him. Because the Bible says the devil believes the truth of the word and he trembles. And we have not gone so far as trembling. Ouch. Ouch. One of the thorns that has come into the church today and even into the pulpit is the manipulation of the teaching of grace. In an attempt to bring the masses into the church today, pastors in the the pulpit don't want to offend their hearers with the truth, and so they soften the message. They teach, they they manipulate verses of of grace and, 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 and then doctrines such as repentance and conviction and the fear of the Lord have been overshadowed by a message of grace created by man and not by God. And so they don't want to make people uncomfortable, and so it's all entertainment. I've seen people, uh, pastors that er, entertain, they said, come, come in, we have entertaining messages each week. There was a, when, Before we left uh, the area where we came from, there was a pastor started a church, and he was a former comedian. He said, come on in for side-splitting humor every week. It's not what churches are about. That's not not how they're intended. I may share a joke here and there, but that's not what churches are about. The goal is to make us more like God and less like the world. This gooey grace has allowed people to think, I'm okay. I don't need to keep growing in holiness. I don't need to be alarmed by sin in my life. God's grace covers it all. I'm okay. God already died for me. No matter what I do, I'm going to heaven, so I'm okay. I just got to try to be a better person. That's what the modern message is taught. But this goes against so many scriptures in the Bible, including the Old Testament. Many times people will say the fear of the Lord was only talked about in the Old Testament. Wrong. We need to understand that God is a just and holy God. He cannot have any sin in his presence. When Jesus died for us, if we fully believe that and appropriate that in our lives, then we escape the judgment because the blood of Jesus covers us. But we still are not supposed to run to sin. The Bible talks about the sacrifice that Jesus made. If we run to sin, then we negate the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. A lot of people think that this is actually in the Old Testament. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to do for his good pleasure. If we are not moved by the fear of the Lord and humbled by the thought of God having full access to every part of us to work His will through us, then we've closed the door to Him. It should be so that every great truth which is believed should influence the mind. It should sway our thoughts. It should mold and shape our behaviors and our life. This is the natural fruit of great spiritual truth. Not to break us down that we feel condemned but to change us and liberate us so that we can live in the kingdom of God in this world that God brought to each one of us. The doctrine of God's grace is indeed a beautiful thing to those who have fully repented and fully received it and appropriated it in their lives. But to those who have just read read it or have a knowledge of it, it becomes more of a curse. How dreadful it is to believe God's revelation without receiving God's Spirit behind it. This is, in a sense, to accept a well, but never drink of the water. To accept corn in the barn, and yet die of hunger. And yet many people have that what they say, the, the Word, the Bible, and they never fully receive it, so they die in their faith. It's like the story of the starving baker that spent so much time giving bread for everyone in town, he never fed himself, and so he died of starvation. And you think that's ridiculous, that could never happen, but many Christians do the same thing. They don't fully receive the the fullness of God's Word, letting it work all the way down in its power to do what God said it would do. The seed sown among the thorns lived and it continued to grow in this parable. It looked like it was going to produce corn. It had the shape of an ear. The stalk had struggled up through the thorns until you could see its head. And one was led to expect corn, but upon closer inspection, there was nothing under the husk. Now is the time to be honest. In what ways, and in what parts of your life, is this you? God, in what ways is this me? I need to be willing to ask that. Your honesty is the greatest gift that you can give both to God and to yourself. Don't rush this time. Matthew nine twelve and 13. When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. God is not looking for ways for you to prove to him that you are good. He is looking for your honesty and your admitting and laying down all that you have that's getting in the way of your relationship with Him. Whatever lies below the surface, God already knows it's there. None of us would ever think about walking out in this world without clothes on. Right? Embarrassing. But I want you to think of that picture that God knows everything in us. Every thought, every motivation, every past hurt that we still keep bringing up. He knows we are completely naked or vulnerable before God. And God loves us still. He loves us. And that's what he's trying to say. I love you so when I'm having these words to get my, my truth down in you, it's not to shame you or to break you or to make you feel guilt. It's so that I can take it away so that you can live in victory. We need to see this about God. He wants us to give him our honesty so he can change us to become more like Jesus Christ. God already knows what's below the surface. He's only upset by it when you're unwilling to admit it and to lay it down. Therefore, let us now consider the thorns. Understand that thorns are natural to the soil. Since the fall of man, these are the firstborn yields of the ground when man sinned. God said there would be thorns. Genesis three seventeen. Maybe you recall this verse. Then to Adam God said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you should eat of it all the days of your life. Verse 18. Both Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. The fact that many are being compromised by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches is not surprising. It's natural, though it's not good. Therefore, we are warned to be on our guard against the thorns. Let me ask you, in what ways are you tolerating those thorns in your lives? How are you tolerating thorns in your heart, which will kill the good seed? In what ways do you have similar passions of others who have neglected the seriousness of thorns? We must routinely do a thorough search if we expect to root out all of the thorny sins and thoughts and motivations in our lives. Our sins, like thorns, our sins within us claim a hold over our thoughts and our feelings. They will not give way to the Holy Spirit or to the new life or to the influences of divine grace without a desperate struggle. Our sinful nature will attempt to crush out every attempt at a revolution by our spirit inside of us which the grace of God should reign through righteousness. Therefore, we must watch and pray lest temptation choke out that which is good in each of us. Do you know why... So many professing, professing Christians actually like the thorny ground. It's because conviction and repentance has been omitted or not taught in many modern day teachings. Now if you remember that song we sang about the spirit of the living God, one of the songs I heard us all singing was, Lord, teach me. Just like I teach middle school, I've done it for 30 years. There's a lot of stubborn learners in middle school. And we can laugh, we know that, but we're stubborn learners too. Sometimes it takes a long time for God to teach us, but in order for us to learn, we need to submit to the teacher. It's the responsibility of the gardener to uproot the thorns, or burn them on the spot. Years ago, when people were converted, it did not happen unless there was first a conviction of a sin. There wasn't... Years ago, evangelists didn't say, hey, Jesus has a wonderful plan for life. Hey, come follow Jesus and get the abundant life. That didn't happen. I don't know how many of you know this. I would imagine that you do. But preachers of old were far different than many today. Too many of today's ministers spend their time preparing a message each week with the hopes that their congregations will like the messages. See how many likes I can get on Facebook. They hope that their messages will get people talking. That will cause them to invite more people to the church to come hear this this message. So that momentum can begin to grow in their respective churches. But do a little little research. And you will find that this was not so in the preaching of ministers a, a century or so ago. They prepared sermons, listen, they prepared sermons that their own people would not like. That their flesh would surely reject that would bring great discontentment, upsetting many people. That's what they had intended to do. For the goal of a message inspired by God is to crucify the flesh, which means to get rid of our personal desires so that we can become more like God. It was not The goal of a message was never to entertain or to satisfy others. Therefore, the hope of sermons long ago was not that people would talk about them with others, but that the word would become a seed. And as it is so often described, it would go way down deep into the soul of each hearer and cause the main talking to be done between one's mind and soul and spirit. This is where the struggle would ensue. The goal was not in the quantity of souls. The goal was in the quality of souls. That they had seriously approached the truth of God's Word, that they were continuing to do daily battle with the flesh as necessary, that they understood the full consequences of sin, and that they stayed humble before a mighty God. When you talk about our history of our country, because I know there's many people that love the history of our country, it's because there was God-fearing men that that led from the pulpits in our country. That's why. The true ministers of old, did not seek to grow the church, but to grow the soul. The business of the ministers of the gospel was not to tickle ears, but to preach that which, by the Spirit's application, would touch hearts and would search consciences. Their duty was to teach the character of God, the awfulness of sin, the certainty of its punishment. These are things that some of you are squirming out so you don't want to hear. That's our flesh that doesn't want to hear that unless repentance was seriously sought. These were the messages spoken from the pulpits in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. Listen to this. It wasn't that we had stronger God-fearing politicians back then, but that we had stronger God-fearing messages from the pulpits. James 3, verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Ministers, pastors, and teachers of the Word, we all receive a stricter judgment from God. Why? Because we teach others, giving them permission to do what we believe the the Word of God says. This is a very serious thing. Yet many overlook this hard and honest truth as they suppress it and manipulate it and twist it and dilute it for the sake of being entertaining or well-liked or admired. In our culture, we're so quick to blame the downfall of our society on our politicians. Yet it is the pulpit that derives its source of knowledge and wisdom and power from God. Therefore, we have a choice where each of us will go to receive that power to change. Some people spend their whole life fighting stuff in the political system, believe that's where the power is to change. Right there, at the cross, is the power to change. You have the responsibility to hold your ministers, myself included, accountable to bring truth that changes, not fluff that makes you feel good. Ministers must bring the full uncompromised truth, for that is how we truly feed the flock. If I look at you and I see you in danger and I don't warn you and I let your, your life get destroyed, then that's on might, that's your blood on my hands. But if I see that you need help and I give you messages that you can grow closer to God and God can remove that condemnation so you can grow closer to Him, then praise God for His glory. That's my job. It's to give the truth and let God take care of it, of the rest. A minister's job is to preach the Word that it may unsettle the ground. For the truth is that we all need to be unsettled a bit so that the seed can work its way deeper into the soil. If we are not bringing forth a full harvest in all areas of our lives, it's often because the seeds that have been planted in us are stuck at the frost line. Unless a seed goes deeper than the frost line in the soil, it risks becoming frozen, laying dormant, and never producing the yield of its fruit. So you may have known people, I can't believe they've been in church their whole lives. They've heard the word. Well, that seed is gone and it's stuck at the frost line. It could be for a variety of reasons. It could be hurts and offenses or whatever thing, but it's stuck at the frost line. Our job is to get it past the frost line so it can do the work of changing. The true miracle of God. What keeps our seeds at the frost line? Our unwillingness to let God's word speak truth to us. Too often we get offended, and then we just stay in offense. We think, I'm the Christian, I'll be the bigger person, I won't address it, but it's still there, and our seed stays at the frost line, if we're honest. Instead of admitting to God that we have failed, because of past wounds of those in the world, or even past wounds of people in the church, many people are not willing to be completely honest with God. They are afraid of being vulnerable and out of control because they've been hurt by others. I don't want to get hurt again. But it's only by trusting God and confessing our sins completely to Him that we allow the seed of His Word to work its way past the frost line in all of us and all the way down into our hearts. It's only when it reaches our hearts that it begins to grow and bear supernatural fruit that we cannot force on our own. It's only the seeds that get way down deep that produce real peace and real joy and real love. That's the message, that's the hope of the Gospel. But it takes a willingness to bear towards that. Therefore, I implore you to work the soil of your hearts. Prepare it for God's Word to go in. Identify and root out every thorn in you that you have allowed to disrupt the growth that God intends you to bring about in your life. No matter who you are, the cares of this world, the pleasures of life, and the deceitfulness of riches grow around you to tempt you, to distract you, and to make the seed in you ineffective. One of the biggest cares of this world is to want the world to care about you. We all will be tempted to want the admiration of others. We want to be noticed, we want to be thanked, and we want to be appreciated. It is within our human nature to like this positive attention. The problem comes when we neglect God and His holiness to seek this worldly attention. When we change our path in life to seek after this attention, or when we're moved by the praises of others, we allow the thorns to grow in our soul. When we are more motivated by the deceitfulness of riches and making money, we compromise the seed that trusts that God will take care of us if we are good stewards of what he has allowed us to have. When we allow the pleasures and the lusts of this life to dominate our thoughts and our attitudes, we dull our senses to hear God's voice, and we neglect the seeds of his word and his direction in us. So it is with many professing Christians. They are in the world. Many professing Christians are in the world, but they're not too worldly. They are somewhat religious, but they're by no means too zealous. They seek the pleasures of the world, but not quite so much as others that they could name. But very soon, the thorns grow. And it becomes doubtful which will win, sin or grace. The world Or Christ. And we know we cannot have two masters and God will not contend with sin if we choose to stay in it. If sin is allowed to enter the heart, it will struggle for the throne. We all have a throne in our hearts. We choose who sits on it. Is it sin? Is it a stronghold? Is it a wound? Or is it Jesus Christ? It was made for Jesus Christ to sit upon the throne of our hearts. We all know what thorns we have neglected to trim back and root up. We know what we have allowed into our thought life. The things that keep coming back up and story after story that we thought we forgiven, but it's still there is still a pain there, a wound there that we have not fully yielded to God. I'm just as guilty. That's why this message is just as much for me. We know what we've allowed into our hearts. In fact, if you are dialed into this message right now, you each know exactly what God has His finger on in your life. For some of you, this examination has been going on well before you came here this morning. You know God has been working on you in a certain area in your life. But when it has gotten too uncomfortable, you just change the subject. Or you choose to dwell on something else. But God is relentless. He is pursuing you. He is pursuing your, your total redemption. He's pursuing your complete rescue from that bondage. God wants to see you high and lifted up as He is. He wants to see His glory all upon you. But He asks us now to do the hard work and be honest with Him. Are you undergoing today a severe conviction of sin? If you are, then thank God for it. Do not think that a calamity has happened upon you. For when we take care to properly work the soil of our hearts, we give good ground for the seed that God will cast upon us. Mark 4.20. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60, and some a 100. Listen, don't think for one moment that good ground means you have a perfect life. It means you know you need that seed in your ground. And if you know you need that seed, it means you know that you are places that you need God where you have failed. So if we can just be honest, that's the good ground God's looking for. When you take time to work the soil and give your honesty to God, His seed takes root. It goes past the frost line. It takes root. It begins to bear fruit. And it changes your life for eternity. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the Spirit of the Holy Spirit to convict us, to change us, to heal us, to redeem us. But Lord God, we want You to continue to work Your way in each one of us. Each one of us, God, we pray that You would do a work in each one of us. And as we give things up to You in honesty we pray that You would remove not just the top, but You would remove the root as well. That it would no longer have dominion over us. That You break the bondages in our minds and in our lives and in our thoughts. That You heal the wounds or past wounds. Lord God, we believe that You are powerful and You can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Do Your work in each one of us right now. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.